I never know how I'm going to begin. And honestly, today was one of those days that this week was one of those weeks, this month was one of those months. You know what I'm saying? So yesterday, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit, you know, under the weather, like I'm coming down with something, and I'm like, oh, Lord, you're kidding me. My wife's gone. There's nobody there to, you know, baby me. We all need babying once in a while, don't we? So as I, I put this together, I'm thinking, I am all over the place. And then I get in here, I start worshiping, we go through communion, and then we hear the word. And, and I just went, you got to be kidding me. God will be with you as you go through the storm. And you're going to see it up there on the screen here in just a minute. She didn't know what I was preaching on. And then Carrie? Yeah. 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 You start talking about the treasure. God's word. Getting in it, going to that first. Guess what my message is about today? And I'm just sitting here going, serious, Lord? This is awesome. It's like confirmation, Norm. I got this. Apparently, we need to hear this. Right? All right. So what's most important in this life? Why do people do bad things? Where should I spend most of my energy and my resources? Where did life come from? What am I meant to do? Where do I go to find out? Who hasn't asked these questions before? And where does a person go to get answers to these types of questions? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. In our men's discipleship group, and there are uh, six of us in this little group that we have on Tuesday morning, and we've been learning how to dissect the Word of God. You know, there's an art form to understanding what's in this book. In, in uh, college, they call it hermeneutics, but it's, it's rightly dividing the Word of Truth. It's not taking things out of context, it's, it's reading it for how it was presented then and what it means for today. And that's what we're doing uh, in our men's group as we, and I like to say it, as we glean the pearls of wisdom from God's holy word. You know, there are pearls of wisdom in that book. I hope you've got a Bible. You know, and I know Carrie said, is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? Oh, I didn't bring it. Pull your iPhone out. Well, it is for me because that's where my devotion is and that's where my Bible is. <laughs> So yes, but it, it's in a good way. How many know that the kingdom of God is like a treasure? And each one of us is expected to find it. Matthew chapter 13 is where I'm going to start today. and I, I'm reading from the NLT unless it says otherwise up there. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So this, this person obviously had some integrity. 
Because some of us would have just taken the treasure and not worried about buying the field, but this guy actually, you get, you get where I'm going with that? So this is a, a person that obviously God's telling the story, so he's trying to show us the right way to do it. Then the next verse, which is similar, it says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned, and he what? He bought it. He bought it. So how many treasure hunters do we have in this room today? Any of you? All right. Some of you. Not all of you, but some of you. Let me ask you this. What do you think the treasure is? I've kind of already given it away. Kingdom of heaven. God's word. And listen to this. God wants you to find the treasure because the treasure is God. Hello? I know you guys are sleepy today. I could tell even before. The treasure is God. So what are we going after as we're going after the treasure? God. Are you with me? Or am I in this all by myself today? When you find God, you found the most valuable treasure known to man. Jesus said, sell everything you have to get it. Remember the rich young ruler who said, oh, I've done all these things, Lord. I've, I've followed the commandments to the T. I've given my tithes, etc. And the Lord said, okay, now go and sell everything you have. See, what he was trying to do by using this young man as an example was to show that nothing else can be more important to you. Nothing. It wasn't his money. God wasn't saying, hey, I don't want you to have money. He was saying, your money can't take priority over your relationship with your God. So God has to be number one. God has to be first in our lives. And that's what Jesus was trying to tell us here. Matthew 7 confirms that we are all to be on a treasure hunt for God. I, I love this passage in Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 and 8. And here, I believe what Jesus is showing us is that our Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, wants a relationship with you. Poke your neighbor and say, God wants a relationship with you. And you know, He gives us permission to go after Him. Beginning with verse 7, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks. Do you think Jesus has given us permission to go after him? Absolutely he is. Absolutely he is. Listen, you aren't here by chance today. God had a plan and a purpose for your life, and every one of us apparently needs to hear this message. Now, I don't know what your priorities are in your life. And maybe you have been sideswiped by life, and it's gotten you off track. It's, it's knocked you out of your rhythm. But I want you to know something today. God is here. And he's trying to get you into a place of right relationship with him. And if you will listen to the Holy Spirit today, before you leave here, you will be changed. 
your rhythm will be back to where it should be. But you've got to go after him with your all, with everything that's in you. How many know about David, King David in the Old Testament? What was he known for? What do, what do we always say about David? He was a man after God's own heart. So would you agree that he might have a little bit of a clue about what it means to have a relationship with him? He knew what it meant to be high. <laughs> I mean, he was... Okay, it's the wrong time to say that. I hear the snicker. because Anyway, we won't go there. He knew what it meant to be at a high in life where everything was going well. Everything was going right. Some of you been there? Some of you are like, oh, I'm still waiting for that day. But he also knew what it meant to be in a low. To hit rock bottom. To have everybody trying to eat his lunch. Trying to kill him. He understood that. And that's why he's the perfect man to listen to. He had friends Yet he also had enemies, and sometimes his friends became his enemies. How many can relate to that? But the most important thing, and here's what I want you to get, the most important thing to David was his relationship with his God. And I love this verse. God put this in me a couple weeks ago, and I haven't been able to shake it. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord. And what? He will give you the desires of your heart. It's a, it's a two-fold passage. Our part and then his part. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires. Of, how many have desires? The rest of you. Come on. How many have desires? Really, John, you don't have any desires? I'm coming out there, man. I'm going to sit right next to you. God's met all his desires. He's, he needs nothing else in life. He's, he's content. Lord's blessing him. Right? Then why aren't you raising your hand? Well, at least he's honest. <laughs> Last week, and listen, last week it was too hot. This week it's too cold. Come on, guys, make your mind up. Yeah, I hope so. Take delight in the Lord. He will give you your heart's desires. This word delight means to find gratification, pleasure, extreme satisfaction in the Lord. Oh, God help us with this. Let me ask, do you delight in the Lord? I'm not asking John. But everybody else, you delight in the Lord. Hallelujah. I know when we first get up in the morning, I mean, usually I'm just trying to stumble to the restroom. I'm not exactly thinking, oh, I can't wait to have a relationship with God today. But quite frankly, it should be that way. Or at least it should be second. I mean, you've got to take care of business first. But... And then I have to feed my dog because he's always right there tail wagging until I do. But then I should go to God. No, you know what? We should go to God as soon as we wake up. And even if it's a simple prayer, Lord, I take delight in you today. 
I am looking forward. I am excited about what you're going to do in my life today, what you're going to do with me, Lord, as you give me my heart's desires. You know, God can honor a prayer like that, and he will. The Amplified actually says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires and secret petitions of your heart. See, there are things that we have in us that we haven't even told our spouse or our kids. Our moms or dads don't even know, but God knows. Have you ever had one of those prayers answered? You didn't even pray it, but it was deep in your heart, and all of a sudden God answers the door and says, here. And you can't help but get a big grin, right? It's like, how'd you? Oh, you're God. Yeah, that's, I get it. Catch the second part of this verse. Our part, delight in the Lord. His part, give us the desires of our heart. What a mighty God we serve, amen? Then there was King Solomon, David's son, and, and again, nothing happens by coincidence. God knows what he's doing, you know that? The Old Testament built up to the new. The law was fulfilled through Jesus, the son. And today, We've inherited kingdom because of him. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, during his lifetime, Solomon was known as the wisest man on the planet. People would come from far away just to see his kingdom. And apparently he had these gardens that were just majestic. And I mean... You could see them from miles and miles away. They were so tall. Of course, in the desert, that's not as hard to do because it's... Never mind. But people really appreciated Solomon's wisdom. And if you remember, God asked him, what do you want from me? And instead of saying, oh, God, give me all the gold, like so many of us would do, Lord, help me to win the Powerball this week. How many were doing that two weeks ago? Yeah. Instead of asking for riches, he asked for something even better. What was it? Wisdom. Lord, I want your wisdom. I want to know how to think, how to respond in, in different situations how I should behave, how I should act around all these people, your subjects. And God honored that prayer. Hallelujah. That's pretty awesome. And from that, Solomon wrote the Proverbs. I'd like to read, starting in verse 2, Proverbs 1. I have it up behind me. Their purpose, the Proverbs, is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives you know god wants us to be successful to help them do what is right just and fair i wish some of our politicians would dust this off and start reading this again to do what is right just and fair these Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. If you're a young person in here, you want to know all about life, you want to know how to live, 
Get your Bible out. Start searching for the treasure. Verse 5, let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Would you say that verse with me? Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. We're not a bunch of dummies. And even if we start out being one, I'll raise my hand. 1981, I was a dummy. I was a fool. I lived in the world. I lived for self. I didn't know what it meant to serve God. But let me tell you something. The Lord got a hold of me as a young man. And he showed me how to be wise. And I got this book out and I started reading it like it was my dinner. It was my daily manna. Every day I read it and I read it and I read it. Why? Because I wanted to know how to live this life. And there's only one instruction book and it's right here. And if you listen to the world, if you listen to these unchurched people, if you listen to the atheists, you are going to be shipwrecked with your faith. But if you listen to God and you listen to Solomon and you listen to David, what you're going to discover is there's treasure in this book. And if you live by it and you go after it, you're going to be better for it. And it isn't just for you. It's for you and your family and all of those coming. Some of you are young. You're going to have grandkids someday. Are you praying for them yet? Do you think about that? My wife, man, she is constantly praying for my grandkids that they'll find the right man or the right woman. And she's been praying it since they were born. Because the Bible taught her to do that. Leaving a legacy. You're with me. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Verse 7, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. I want to highlight that for a minute. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, my, my underline. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. I'd like to talk about that. What does it mean a fool despises God's wisdom and refuses to acknowledge we can do nothing without him. Every person in this room needs the Lord. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of His glorious standard. Nobody will ever measure up. How many know someone that denies that God even exists? What do you do with people like that? Pray. Listen, I'm not calling them fools. God is. It's not our job to call them fools. That's the Lord's job. And Solomon wrote that those who fear the Lord are wise. 
as they build their lives on the foundation of true knowledge, which is, of course, God's holy word. It, this is all about his kingdom, past, present, and the one to come. I get so pumped every time I read Revelation. Man, especially verses or chapters 20, 21, and 22. It's like, <gasps> I can't wait. He's coming back. I can't wait to catch a monster fish in Lake Jesus. <laughs> Troy, you going out with me, man? He's back there. Yeah, leave me alone, Dad. <laughs> Pastor Roger. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Let me ask you that. As, as one source put it, and I'd like to share this, there are three types of fear in the Bible. First, there's a dreadful fear. Like when you watch zombie apocalypse and your favorite heroine gets grabbed from behind and you know that she's just about to die. And I watched the unedited version, or the edited version, not the unedited. Then there's a respectful fear. It, it, it's kind of like, how many have ever been pulled over by the police? It's like that. You know what I'm saying? Whether you were guilty or not. License and registration, please. <laughs> oh, it's fun to be on that side. <laughs> then there's the fear of being in the presence of someone great. Have you ever been there? There? You find yourself so enamored with a person or or being that you just want to soak in being in their presence. And you don't want to blow it. You don't want to do something stupid, right? Shut your mouth, man, you're drooling. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Which of these definitions represents God? All of them. All of these represent the fear of the Lord. We should have a sense of terror when we think of God because after all, Jesus is coming back. And he's not coming back is the meek little lamb. He's coming back as the judge. How you live your life is going to determine how he responds to you. All of us should tremble and fear that day. We should also respect the Lord, for he alone is worthy of our praise. And then finally, we should be so enamored, so filled with a feeling of love and admiration that we gush when we're in his presence. A few weeks back, I was watching a morning show. I don't remember which one it was, but I'd never seen this. It was a boy band from China, and I think they are hit five or something like that. I'd never heard them, never seen them. They had some of the wildest pants on. I mean, it reminded me of my psychedelic days back in the 70s, if, if or 60s even, if you, yeah, remember that? And, and they, they had a, a pretty good noise, but what I noticed was is there were all these little girls who were outside and inside, and when these boys came out, I'm telling you, ah! I was like, what? I'm not picking on girls, if you're a girl, although maybe you do that, I don't know. You, you do that with a band? No, she's like, leave me alone, Pastor Norm. 
But can I say, when you and I get in the presence of the Lord, how should we respond? Oh, God, Lord, you are so worthy. Master of the universe, King of kings and Lord of lords. Who, who can rise up to your level? Are you hearing me? That's the kind of fear that I believe each one of us should have. And I have this, this little video here that I think we've still got time. Lou Giglio did this several years ago, and I just wanted you to see it. So tune in. We are here tonight to worship a huge, massive God of grace and glory. The story opens like this, in case you forgot, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And that was a phenomenal moment when that happened, because light came out of the mouth of God, traveling 186,000 miles a second. There's an image of it for you, by the way. It's a little more fierce than we often think. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, but what I want you to see about it is how big it is. It's 93 million miles away, so when you're looking up in the sky, it's pretty good pace out there. By the way, light traveling 186,000 miles a second, it's only taken eight minutes to cover that 93 million mile journey to touch your skin here in Atlanta, Georgia. But what I want you to see is the size of it. It's like a million times the size of the earth, and that matters to us tonight when you hear what the psalmist said. Listen to his words. By the word of the Lord, this is Psalm 33, the heavens were made. In other words, God didn't lift a finger when he made the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. But he goes on to say, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So we're looking at something so intense that we don't want to get any closer than 93 million miles away, which is what we are right now. And then we read that God just breathes out stars. It's crazy to think about it. A million times the size of the earth. So here's a little perspective that sort of changed my life. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either, so let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent Earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you've found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the Earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the Earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put... 960,000 Earths inside the sun. So if the Earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15-foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside the 15-foot diameter sun. It's a massive star, and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. I love science, and science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this, Canis Majoris. 
Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh wow, if the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet, and I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. That's enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in to the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. But Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. Just notice the blue dot fading away is not the earth. That's Neptune. The earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by. Little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention. Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. Our third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, Wusifi. And do you know that you couldn't come up here right now with a Sharpie and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun? You couldn't even do it. I mean, when you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. And um, can you hang on that for me? And when you see this, I don't know what happens to you, but I'll tell you what happens to me. A shrinking feeling comes over me, and it's not a bad shrinking feeling. It's a good shrinking feeling. Because sin, it has a, a way of shrinking God down in our minds and puffing us up in our own estimation. 
But just a glance into the universe that God has made resizes everything in a heartbeat. And you realize tonight we are worshiping an unrivaled, uncontested God of all kind of might and power and glory and awe who is, there's none like him anywhere in all of creation tonight. By the way, you can uh, Google that Lou Giglio and uh, that'll pop up. The God we serve, you know, we, we've got him in this little teeny box. You can't hold God in a box. <laughs> we serve an amazing, awesome God. And as this verse says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. It all comes from him. True knowledge comes from him. I want to know what he knows, not what some of these scientists tell us today, who I believe many of them are wrong. Fear of the Lord. One commentary wrote about this, there's a sharp contrast between the wise life and the foolish life. A wise person fears, reverences, obeys the Lord. A fool despises God's instruction and cannot be told what to do. We know people like that, right? The wise person is wise because he or she has started at the starting place, which is with God, which is with His Word. The fool has no foundation on which to build their wisdom. If you're without God, the Bible says this, you're a fool. So what we just saw on this big screen, big screen should challenge us to see God in a new light. He is an amazing God. There's no other who can compare. He is the master of the universe. He is the one out of whom all life comes. He placed every star in the perfect spot. Just go out and look on a starry night, especially this time of the year. It's amazing to see the stars out there. And then the planets, as he placed them in their perfect orbits and gave them a little spin so that they're moving in the right direction. And they're in a perfect rhythm with one another. Everything in its place. Everything in perfect order. God knew what he was doing. And yet, as big as this God is who made Canis Majoris, the big dog star. <laughs> he found time to place little petals on the little flowers that we love and sniff today. And he found time to attach the little feathers to the birds, the beautiful birds that we get to see and hear on a regular basis. And listen, he created you and me in his image. In the image of God, He created us. What an amazing God we serve. In this book, the Bible's purpose is to lead us to Him where He shares His wisdom with us 
so that we can learn how to live rightly with God. But in order to do that, folks, you've got to rightly divide the word of truth. As Paul said to Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. When you stand in front of Jesus one day, hopefully the first judgment, when he judges the church, what is he going to ask you? Is he going to ask you your opinions? Is he going to ask you what you learned at Yale or Harvard or Southern Cal or MSU or U of M? As awesome as it might be that you have your education, it ain't going to matter. You know what's going to matter? How you lived your life as it compares to this book. Because this book is going to judge you. God's Word is going to judge you. What you did right, what you did wrong. Everything you said and did on this side of heaven will be judged. Every word that, come out of your mouth, that comes out of your mouth will be judged, whether good or bad. How are you doing so far? Some of you should be getting that fear and trembling thing going right about now. As you meditate on how you've been living your life some of you right now should be thinking you know what i think i need to repent i think i need to put my life under the blood because i'm not feeling so good right now i'm feeling like if jesus were to come back right this minute i'd have a lot to account for but listen to this this is the good news when you put it under the blood it's under the blood what did you call it where'd he go what did you call it you called it a sea or a lake where the, the sea of forgetfulness. And God will not see your sins as long as it's what? Under the blood of Jesus. So it's your responsibility. Young people, old people, middle-aged people, it's your responsibility to get into God's Word, to study it, to rightly divide it, and to apply it to your life. And as we discipline our lives, as we read the Bible, we become smarter, wiser, and we cannot help but be successful. It just happens. It's just, God said it. You know, you reap what you sow. You put God in you, you're going to get good things out of you. You realize good is only adding one vowel. God, good. You want good? Get God. You want good? Get God. Oh. Some of you caught that. So when we ask what's the most important thing in life, we need to go no further than our Bibles or our iPads or our iPhones. Those utilities that contain God's holy word. One of the clearest passages in the Bible that illustrates this point is found in Matthew 7. There we go. Remember saying that? I'm pointing back at Melanie. Standing in the storm, God said in that word, he said, I will walk you through the storms of life. Ah. Ah. 
I love God. I love how he does this stuff. He messes me up. Verse 24, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Say that with me. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Hang on to that thought. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Who is our solid rock? Jesus. Though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse. Why? Because it's built on the solid rock, on bedrock in this verse. And then listen to this one. The right side of the butt. Carrie, you already kind of, never mind. You, you, never mind. You used that word once. But anyone who hears my teaching and what? Ignores it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. If you build your life on anything but Jesus, on anything but God, on anything but the Word of God, your life will fail. It's like building a house on sand, and you know that that's just not a solid foundation. You want to build on the bedrock of Jesus. Amen? So again, Jesus uses both the wise person and the foolish person in this illustration. Which are you? Both are going to find themselves in precarious situations. It's what they do before the chance circumstances arrive that determines their ruin or not. You see, if you've got all of God in you when the life's storm comes on you, you're going to make it. You're not going to give up. It's not going to shipwreck your faith. And when it's all over, said and done, you're going to go, you know what? That wasn't that easy, but I'm better for it. On the other side of it, though, for those who aren't wise, who have denied God room in their lives, who have neglected to study the Bible, ah, it's just a bunch of fairy tales. Those people, when life comes at them, and it's going to come at them, when it comes at them, it could completely destroy them. And let me ask you this, what do you think the rain's coming and the floodwaters rising, what do you think they represented here? What do you think Jesus meant? Trials and tribulations. How about life? Life in general. You know, God never said that life would be easy. In fact, from the day that you're born, you moms know this more than most of us. Life is painful. We call it labor. You know, my mom still rubs this in my face. Thanks a lot, Norm. I was her fourth child. Number four, and I get blamed. Why? Because, first of all, I was turned around backwards. Second, I had the umbilical cord around my neck. I was trying to hang myself coming out. So it meant she had to have a C-section. She did natural labor up to that point. But after I came along, thanks a lot, Norm. 
from the minute we're born, life grows us curveballs. It was never intended to be easy. Listen, we live in the midst of sin and Satan. And those two things can mess up a world really good. Just look around. You know what I'm saying? It's truth. But I want you to understand, if you know God's Word, what it means to be a son or daughter of the Most High God, then when these floodwaters come, and they will come, you're going to know, I'm on the winning team, and it doesn't matter what hits me, I'm still going to be okay. To the good part of the message, those who fear the Lord are wise, and they have the victory that as their house is built on the firm foundation that nothing that comes against them is going to knock them out. Philippians 4.12, a verse that most of us know, but I wanted to start with 12. I know how to live on almost nothing, Paul said, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Read that last verse. I can do everything through Christ who gives me my strength. You see, the Apostle Paul knew the secret of life. This is it. He knew what it meant to have plenty. He knew what it meant to have little. Everybody in this room is in one or the other of those categories today. We know what it's like to have a lot. We know what it's like to have a little. So whether you're at a high spot in your life or a low spot, what I believe Jesus is saying to his church is, go after the pearls. Go after the treasure. Go after me. Go after a relationship with your God. I am your strength, he would say to us. And those who fear the Lord, listen to this, recognize where their strength comes from. It doesn't come from how you can provide for your family. For how well your business does or how successful it does. That has nothing to do with it. If you're healthy, your family's going to be healthy. And you'll be healthy if God is your strength. If He is your source. I'm getting close to the end. Wow, I'm way over. Jesus, have your way. I'm just going to skim through these. Romans chapter 8. This is one all of us know. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Oh, Lord, let that one sink in. If God is for us, who can be against us? He goes into this. Christ Jesus who died, excuse me. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What are you worried about today? He gave his son for you. What else will he not provide for you that you need? Who will bring any charge against those whom God's chosen? It is God who justifies. The next verse. Who is he that condemns? Well, we know who that is. Satan. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life. Is at the right hand of God. 
He is interceding for you and me today. Hey, Dad, Sarah needs a little help today. She's struggling. I'm sure you've felt that, haven't you? The Lord's presence. Christ Jesus, who died, is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Those are not fun things, by the way. As it's written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Now you have to understand that when he wrote this, they were under major attack. We could be. Some of our Christian brothers and sisters are today on the other side of the globe. They're giving their lives for their testimony. It could happen here again very quickly. Don't ever, ever fall into that, yeah, we're safe. Nothing, though, can separate us from Christ. Nothing. And then this last verse. In all these things. Say this with me. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's his promise. These are little nuggets of, uh, little pearls of wisdom, little nuggets of treasure. That if we apply them to our lives, we can't help but be victorious. For I am convinced, Paul said, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Say this with me one more time. We are more than conquerors. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me? We are more than conquerors through Christ who first loved us, who came as a sacrifice for our sins. Be wise. Fear the Lord. Keep going after the treasures of His kingdom. Learn about Him if you don't know Him. You shouldn't have to be going to other people to find answers. It's okay when you're first starting out as a new believer. But some of you have been in the faith 10 years. You shouldn't have to be going. It's all right to talk to others about what you're going through, like we are in our disciple group. And I love it because we can ask all the raw questions we want, and we help each other come up with the answers. But you ought to be smart enough to go after this on your own. And if you're still going to other people to pray for you all the time, shame on you. You have a tongue. You have a prayer life. Use it to the glory of God. So as I begin to wrap this up, know this, we serve an amazing God. And He wants us to go after Him like treasure hunters. And I, I wanted to come out looking like Indiana Jones today, but I couldn't find the whip. It's an adventure with the Lord. There's so much to Him the people that God puts you around, they're treasures. They're, they're, they're people to be mined because they all have something to give. And God wants to use us to go after these people, to go after these treasures. And why do I say they're treasure when I already said God is? Because God is in us. And He created us in His image. 
Sometimes you might be used to help other people realize what a treasure they are. That's why we need the church family, the church body. We need each other. And when you find him, (laughs) when you find the treasure, be willing to sell everything, everything, in order to get it. Learn to be wise. Discipline yourself. Dig into his word, the Bible. Let those little pearls of wisdom minister to you, teach you, and help you be a success for Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Are you standing in a storm of life right now? head bowed if you're here today and you say pastor that's me life's been tough it's been eating my lunch I just want to acknowledge today that I need Jesus I need the Lord that's you would you without anybody looking would you lift your hand up so I can see it yep anybody else yep you can put them down anybody else thank you if you're standing in the storm of life today is your foundation on the rock are you being wise or are you building it have you built it on the sand the good news is you can change that today I said this earlier you can change that today if you know you need a change in your life that you need to begin going after God going after his treasures Putting him first in your life. If that's you, just lift your hand up so I can see it right now. Thank you. You can put him down. I want you to pray, all of you with me if you would. And we're a big family here and I believe that God answers prayer. So pray this with me. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I'm calling out to you today. I don't want to be a fool. I want to be wise. So the first thing, first things first, I confess my sin. If there's anything in me that shouldn't be, forgive me, oh God, and cleanse me of all my unrighteousness and make me a new person today. And Lord, I ask you right now, as I go through these storms of life, that you'll help me to diligently study your word to read the Bible listen to the Bible listen to good sermons to to strengthen my inner man and when I face the next storm I believe according to your word as I build it on the rock that it's not going to wipe me out but when it's all over and the blue sky comes again I'm going to be on the solid rock. I give you my life, all that I have, all that I am. Now help me find the good treasures, the pearls of wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. God loves all of you. He loves me more than we'll ever know if he put 
a big dog sun like that way out there when we really can't even see it and couldn't see it up until recently with telescopes. What kind of God is that that does things we can't even see, but yet he still puts it out there? He is a detailed kind of God. And you know what? He knows you so well. Let him have his way with you. Give him room to move. Go after him like a treasure. Lord, again, we thank you for everything you're doing in us. And I pray that as we close this service, it's not the end of our relationship with you till next Sunday. It's the beginning of the week. Lord, establish a relationship with each one of us. Help us to serve you. Help us to let our light shine out in our own communities. And Lord, we give you all that we have, all that we are. We give it all to you today in Jesus' name. Keep us safe in our coming and in our going. Again, we pray this in your holy name. And everybody said, God bless you. Get to know somebody you don't know yet. Say hi to the Christensen family. God bless you.